Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 1030 with David Kaplan. In all of this, there's, there's one truth, right? Well, there's probably many, but there's, there's one truth. Doing hard shit begets doing harder shit. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Margin Edge. Margin Edge is a restaurant management software that helps you see your food and your labor costs in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment. Just snap a picture of your invoice and Margin Edge will process them within 24 to 48 hours with line item detail, including handwritten adjustments. This allows you to save hours on paperwork so you can spend more time creating great guest experience. Head to marginedge.com slash unstoppable to sign up for a free demo today. That's marginedge.com slash unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Pop Menu. Look, there is a lot of elements to consider when growing your restaurant. Like, are you connecting with your diners and with the right message? And could your kitchen put out more orders than your dining room has room for? There's so much to consider, and it can be overwhelming when you got into this business for the food and the people, and that's why I recommend Pop Menu, and that's why restaurants get Pop Menu, frankly. Pop Menu is technology for restaurants that are ready to grow. For a limited time, get $100 off your first month, plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Restaurant Systems Pro, and they are launching their first time ever 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurateurs through the Restaurant System Pro software and setting up the systems for your restaurants. Fred will teach you recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, it, more butts and seats, and that's not it. If you are interested in this, head over to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. This episode is brought to you by Reachify. Why are you still taking phone calls when you have online services that can support the majority of your guest needs? Redirect your callers so you can focus on the food and the guest across the counter. Reachify is powerful and flexible. For example, with advanced automation and caller deflection, Reachify prevents missed caller opportunities and diverts callers to online actions. Reachify also simplifies workflows for your team, enabling them to operate more efficiently to attract, retain, and engage callers effectively. Reachify, be in control of the conversation you want to have when you're able to have them. Hop on to reachify.io slash unstoppable to find out how to revolutionize the way your restaurant does business. And when you use that link, get one month free after onboarding. That's reachify.io slash unstoppable. 
With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, founder and co-owner of Death & Co., David Kaplan. My man, David, are you feeling unstoppable today? I, it, that feels great. I wish we had like some some uh, you know smoke effects. Like <laughs> in my mind, that is happening right That's now. That's in my mind too. So we're we're on the same page. We're off to a great start. Awesome, dude. I'm so excited to be here. You in your name in your in your restaurants. I mean, kind of bubbling up like at least three or four times organically over the past year. Uh, first with EOS. Mm-hmm. So love that. I I love what EOS is doing. They they said here's a list of people that are using EOS that we think you'd be a good you know people for you to talk to your name was on that list i tapped into the bar metrics vein of mm-hmm. of badass professionals all those folks are like you gotta talk to david kaplan uh, david kaplan so i mean this has been an interview i've been looking forward to i'm excited to be here i can't wait to dive into your story to tell the listeners how you got to where you are today but let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra what do you got for us so this is uh this is from a book that that I, I loved and really just blew me away on every level. Um, author, uh, the name of Gay Hendricks, and he has uh, a mantra, a meditation mantra that he suggests. Um, and I started using it after I, I read the book. Absolutely love it. I expand in abundance, success, and love every day. And I inspire others around me to do the same. Mm. I've changed it a little bit in my, in my life, in my, in my world. Um, which is really like part of my mission is just to wake up, do hard shit, um, and inspire others around me to, to do the same. Right. Um, but it, it, uh, I repeat it often and man, it's, you know, it, it does what a mantra is supposed to do. It's empowering. Yeah. Just talked to Sean Finter, somebody else I believe you yep. know. Uh, yep. Awesome guy. And he was talking about the power of just doing epic shit. Yeah. If you want to attract onto yourself epic people, what you need to do in this industry, you've got to do epic shit. And you've been doing some epic things, man, for sure. I, you know, I, I love that, man. Sean was one of my first really entrepreneurial kind of like inspiration points. And I owe so much to Sean and I tell him that all the time. Um, I love do epic shit for me. Epic means it's almost, uh, it's, it's like you define it once it's there. Uh, along the way, there's so many fucking hard things. Do we get to curse on a podcast? Oh, yeah. I oh, love that about the podcast. <laughs> so, you know, wait, wake up and do hard hard things, man. Wake up and do hard shit. You're going to, the end result will be epic shit, I think. Um, along the way, it's 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 going to be tough, but uh, those challenges um, reap much bigger reward. Right. And in sharing your mantra, you also kind of alluded to the fact that you have daily mantras mm-hmm. is this something like talk about the power of, of just reciting these things to you to yourself daily yeah i mean i i like everyone i kind of go through phases of um what my like uh leveling out of of a healthy state of being is right i mean already that sounds pretty hippy dippy but stay <laughs> with me so you know we are in an incredibly stressful industry right um no matter what part of this industry that you occupy it is uh, tough man just every day can be filled with tough stuff showing up for others um you know if you're on the floor showing up for your team um making tough decisions uh well i'm sure we're going to talk about one but you know this this week uh, or last week this week is our last week at the danforth in portland maine we decided to close one of our uh, five properties that we have opened you're breaking my heart right so now. tough man i didn't it's, even know about that property until i was doing my research i'm in new hampshire i was like i yeah. gotta go check this spot out it's so tough it's so tough but you know there's 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 so much um uh, so many challenges that any of us face uh, in this industry and obviously uh, every every single one so it's important that we find ways uh for healthy balance when we get into this industry of course 
that's not healthy balance. Usually it's, it's alcohol, it's, it's drugs, it's, it's anything but healthy balance. But if you want to have longevity in this industry, you find healthy balance. So I go through phases. Um, you know, for a while I was waking up early doing yoga and meditating. I love that. And I would have that mantra in my meditation every day, just a five or 10 minute meditation. I'm big on the Peloton app. So anything on Peloton have guided meditation there. Um, recently I've gotten really into running. Um, and so that is my kind of meditative it's kind of state. And I just ran my first half marathon. Like running totally new to me. It's super fun. Thanks, man. Yeah. Um, but that is uh, that mantra that I read uh, at the start of this podcast. That's something that I've written out. It's on my on my monitor. Um, I reflect on it daily. So I don't say it uh, to myself uh, every day because I'm not currently meditating every day right now. I go through phases of what, whatever that right. is and however I find that balance. Um, but I do look at it and read it uh, every, right. every day. I think you just brought up another good point. I think a lot of people get hard on themselves when they don't meditate yeah. every day or they do these things every day. They haven't committed it to like a daily routine or a daily habit. But even once a week is better than never. You know, and as long as you're moving in that direction of consistency, as long as you're doing better than you did the week before or the month before, or I mean, I look at my calendar right now and I put an X every time I do this. Mm-hmm. And like when you look back, like over time, there's been more and more X's, yep. you know, I think that's what ends up happening is over time, as long as you keep on trying, like you, you, you start to see more X's in your days. I mean, atomic habits, right? Like oh, if, yeah, if, if you haven't read, the, if you haven't read the book, everyone needs to read the book because it's just so actionable. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, um, walking into a gym, even if you don't do anything and walking out of a gym is better than not going to the gym at all because you're forming those healthy habits. Doing 10 minutes of exercise is better than none. We like to think that, you know, and even when I started running, um, I would always listen to like Nike run club or or running coach in my ear. And uh, one of the questions on one of the runs was, uh, what do you define as, as a real run? And I was like, well, real run 5k. 5K is like the minimum threshold for a real run. And uh, the, the national uh, running coach, Coach Bennett, uh, who is on a lot of those audio guided runs, um, he was like, if you run, that's a real run, yeah. you dummy. Yeah. Like, if, you're, if you do it at all, it counts. <laughs> Count it. You're forming healthy habits. It's better than not doing it. Every run is a real run. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, that's exactly that thing. So, um, you know, you, you fall off in this industry, whatever it is, uh, you, get, you get right back on. Um, you know, whether that is kind of the entrepreneurial pursuit, you know, and, and closing a business that's, that's falling off, man. That's feeling, that's feeling that big capital F, which yeah. is failure. Let's but, get into your entrepreneurial pursuit. I want to get there already, man. Cause uh, I know you have quite the story. 26 years old, correct me. 24 years old, 24, you, you opened death and co 2006 new year's Eve. Does it make sense to go before this time? Do you want to go back a little bit more to set up a, <laughs> what was, what was going on? Take us to the beginning. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's uh, that that definitely was the beginning of my my real kind of professional career. Um, going back, it's it's interesting to 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 think about how you got there, why you do the things you do, right? And so much of it is uh, some I think we're born with, um, and and some is a product of of our parents, right, and the influence that they uh, that they have on us. My mom always wanted to be an artist. Uh, she was a pharmacist. My dad always wanted um, to be a chef. Uh, he was a businessman. Uh, and uh, I went to school for fine art, and I, uh, I've only worked in hospitality. And I never really thought about it while I was doing it, how I was actively trying to live out my parents' wishes and dreams. Because I was a pretty rebellious kid. So it's funny that I was doing exactly, essentially, <laughs> what they wanted me or <laughs> wanted for themselves. Um, and... Uh, you know, no one in my family is in hospitality. Um, 
uh, professionally, but they're all phenomenal hosts. They can just throw together a dinner party um, at the drop of a hat. They're all amazing cooks. Um, and we would always have people over. Uh, I was very lucky, very privileged to be able to, to travel and experience restaurants. Um, and walking into restaurants from a very early age, I always held such a reverence for the bar. And specifically, just the, the backlit bottles, the glow, the amber din of the bar. And the noise, the sort of orchestra of, of uh, cocktails being sure, stirred and shaken and, um, you know, the, that white noise of, of chatter. Um, I, I, I still think it's incredibly romantic. I still just get lost even just talking about it. And um, so it, it was in that pursuit. You know, I went to school for fine art photography, did a lot of gallery arts, um, loved uh, that love that process and love what it gave me. It really empowered a strong aesthetic and confidence in my aesthetic, which I I was thinking just as you were saying it, which, yeah, which I I use um, every day in, in this thing that we do, this wild thing that we do. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, but it really was always cocktails for me. It wasn't just hospitality with the big age. It wasn't food and beverage. It wasn't, you know, it was, it was cocktails. And so, um, you know, right after college, I went to Las Vegas and that was sort of my trekking around Europe because it was my finding myself moment. Didn't know anyone in Vegas. I was working at nine. When uh, did you graduate college? Uh, 2004. Okay. So only two years before opening your first bar. Yeah. And were you working in bars bef- during high school and college? Um, I was w- always working in restaurants in some capacity, but no, okay. I've, I'm never really in, in a bar. And I never, one of my publicly known dirty little secrets is that I've never worked behind a bar at all. So, you know, people uh, early on and still occasionally now would be like dave kaplan best bartender i know i was like nope not true literally, <laughs> literally not a, can't can't do it i love that though yeah. but to tell me that tell me that's not inspiration for anybody who's listening to this you don't have to be the the technician you don't have to be the person that's good at the thing to be successful in this industry and you know in the in those early days, that was actually a phenomenal advantage because I was and still am just a huge fucking cheerleader, just a wild fan, wild fan. You're inspiring me right now. No, I mean, I just like, <laughs> you know, I, I, I come into any of our properties and, and I am just kind of struck by how talented every single person is and, and what they do and what they can bring and what, what the what they're creating for all of our guests every night. Um, and so I, yeah, I just like bartenders and hospitality professionals were rock stars to me and they, and they still are. And so, yeah, that's really how death and co kind of came about is, is that it was built from the bar stool, like what I was looking at and what I was so enamored with in terms of a customer experience. Um, and, uh, and we gave all of our, uh, bartenders, all of our staff, uh, all the authorship in the early days. Cause I didn't know how to do any of it. And so I was like, man, I'm just here to get you what you need and get the fuck out of your way um, and build you up and celebrate you guys. And so we got just phenomenal talent, you know, Phil Ward, Brian Miller, Alex Day, who's who's here. He's our um, he's my business partner, co-owner in the business. Got and to our shake CEO. his hand real quick. That was nice. Yeah. You yeah. know, all American badass. Alex. Yeah. Day. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think I interrupted you. You said you were you made your way out to Las Vegas. Uh, yeah, right. So uh, I made my way out to Las Vegas and um, it, it was Uh, I was reading every book I could, like literally like opening a bar for dummies, like how to create an Excel spreadsheet for, you know, when did you commit to opening a restaurant or a bar? When was that like the goal? Uh, pretty early on. I mean, I, I, I I built this (laughs) now we're just going back and back and back. So when I was 18, I, I moved out of my dad's house, moved in with a friend and built, we built this tiki bar with the full like little, it was tropical bar, tiki bar at the time. Um, 
with uh, with this like terrible menu. It was all from Mr. Boston's, you know, all like cordials, brandy cordials, like terrible stuff. <laughs> um, not fret, not a, a lime or a lemon to be found anywhere. Um, and and through parties and had like little menus and stuff. So I loved their own parties, loved their own events. Um, and uh, and then cut to college. Uh, bought a house that then rented out because it was Rochester. Uh, so it was so New York. Yeah, upstate yeah. New York. So I uh, went to RIT. So 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 affordable, and then rented it out um, to a bunch of bunch of my friends, and uh, was able to kind Smart. of then sell it. And yeah, it was it was kind of an early business decision of sorts, and um, uh, built this uh, L-shaped bar. And I've always been just kind of like uh, really stir crazy, just wildly kind of go 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 go. Um, people would be like, Hey, let's hang out. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to redo the floors. Like, come on over. I'm renting a sander. I've never done it before. They're like, I don't want to fucking do that. I'm in college. I want to smoke pot and play video games. I'm like, yeah, that doesn't sound like fun. Well, then I me. guess we're not hanging out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I, I retrofitted uh, a chest freezer, um, uh, to, to into a refrigerator and made like a dual tap kegerator and then did, you know, this, this, uh, two sided bar and did the top and upholstered the panels and had the little workshop down uh in the house and um yeah just really really fun silly stuff but yeah i, I kind of I, I was always very enamored with it yeah. and, and pretty clear that this was what i wanted to do so you graduate college the years uh you're 24 years old you move into las vegas mm-hmm. you have this six-year goal to open a bar at this point in your life because at the age of 18 you kind of decided this is what i want to do I, it was it was either be an artist or open open a bar was you get was, to scratch that artist itch doing what you do though yeah in in such an incredible way and my favorite part about everything that i do is collaborating i'm i'm not you know i i don't perform my best in isolation in any regard no matter what um so i get to collaborate with the best the best people in the world who are you know become my closest friends or are my closest friends in terms of the business get to collaborate with incredible artists designers um just such wildly talented people for this very much creative endeavor um that i think is um you know we're, we're looking to create ultimately like at, at its peak human connectivity but almost like a transcendent experience where you can really take a breath like for me you know the world is so noisy and so chaotic and so busy and always has been to be able to like truly stop pause be in a booth like we're in now and have just like that perfectly fucking cold martini. Um, that first sip of it, you know, is is that like that moment that can just allow you to let your shoulders down and allow you to take that breath and be truly present in the moment with yourself first and then with who you're with, yeah. you know, and, and truly connect with them. So you're in Las Vegas. Um, <laughs> yeah. I think I keep, you keep getting into it and I keep pulling you off of it with my questions, uh, cause you have to offer the context, but oh, when, I love it. so when you were in Las Vegas, what's going on? So I was, I was working at, uh, a rain nightclub in the palms, um, who, you know, depending, depending on your age, you may remember from the real world. Um, one of the seasons was like shot there and, uh, it was super familiar. It was just crazy. It was like a 4,000 person nightclub with seven different VIP areas. Like think about death and co. It was everything that is not death and co. (laughs) (laughs) And, and I credit, uh, rain was amazing. It was a really interesting nightclub to work. I didn't really have much of a, much of a job there. I was a VIP host, but, um, you know, it, it was definitely a like friend of the family sort of hooked me up with that job. Kind of just this privilege kid nonsense and um was very lucky to get it and didn't really do anything got paid decently was there like three days a week uh thursday friday saturday and um 
you know, I was there for nine months and uh, they offered me, uh, you know, they said, what role do you want in the new tower? You know, you're doing good. You have a lot to learn. You know, you're quiet, you're subdued, but you know, you're honest and it's clear you're hardworking and you care about this industry. What role do you want? Think about it and come back to me. And um, there's Brian Kurgan, who's the GM at the time. And I came back to him. I said, you know, I really appreciate appreciate the offer, but uh, I, I got to decline. He said, good, get the fuck out of here. I hate this town. Um, <laughs> said, uh, you know, if, if you took the job, you find you know, find someone, you'd get married, you'd get stuck here. So best of luck to you. Get out of here. I was like, oh, what? All right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, but in, in um, uh, it, I, I do owe that time in Las Vegas a, a huge amount because um uh, in truth, Death & Co. Uh, is very much a response to that time in Vegas. You know, Las Vegas was, uh, it is kind of uh, freshly dried concrete and freshly painted concrete. You know, it's everything that's like... It's uh, by nature transactional. Yeah, and it's 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 thin and, you know, um, superficial in, in kind of the best ways. Like, I, I'm, I don't want to be too disparaging about Las Vegas because I love it for what it is, but like... There's it, a time and place for it. Yeah, there's a time and place for it. It, it does not feel real and it doesn't feel timeless. Um, there's not a sense of permanence and that's everything that I was going for and everything that I was uh, gravitating towards and everything that we try to... Con- you know, continue to produce uh, when we open a Death & Co. is that sense of timelessness, that sense of permanence, that you just, death, this Death & Co. was here all along. You just are now discovering it. No, this has been here for forever. Um, so was this desire to go break off, do your own thing, create this thing of timelessness, of hospitality, of warmth, of like, you know, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but like, is that kind of what you, the, the urge was inside of you when you declined this offer? Yeah. Yeah, I was like, I was like, no, this isn't it. I don't know what it is. You know, I didn't have a clear vision for what I was, I was embarking to do, but I was like, this, this isn't, this isn't what I'm looking for. What I'm looking for is, I think it's in New York because New York is kind of the opposite of Las Vegas. And, um, very timeless. There's a very (laughs) New York way about New York. I was desperate for culture and people and sense of community and all the things that Las Vegas, um, you know, has in short supply on New York is, is rich. And, and, um, yeah, so that took me to New York and, took me to the East Village. Um, I met uh, Ravi Rossi, who owned this great, tiny little closet of a wine bar, not much bigger than this little booth we're sitting in. And I think it was like 20 seats, which was really generous. It probably should have been six, but you know, New York, you can just kind of pack them in there. But it was great. He was out there every night and we got to talking and he's he's just kind of a quick talking neighborhood guy. He said, Dave, what do you do? Oh, I do this and this. Oh, yeah, well, we should do something. We should open a business. I got this. I got this. I got this. And eventually we, he was like, well, you know, this guy is trying to sell me his business around the corner. Why don't we go look at it? All right. So we look at it. It was a French Indian restaurant called Raga. And it was like painted primary colors, like red and yellow. And it was, you know, uh, not cute, um, <laughs> but charming in, in like a East Village way. And uh, I was like, man, this is pretty, this is pretty great. Uh, it's on a side street, 6th Street between 1st and A and sort of just hidden right in plain sight. And um, fell in love with it. And we, uh, we did the deal. And, um, you know, again, uh, I, I've mentioned it a few times, but I was I was very fortunate. I was very lucky. My 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 grandma passed away and left me a little bit of money, and and I didn't have debt from college, and so I, I was very aware of that. And um, I was like, well, I can risk all of this. And I I also have you know there are some other entrepreneurs in my family, so I've seen this modeled, right? So already I'm I, I have all these things going. Um, and I was like, well, I I don't know the first thing about business, don't know the first thing about you know hospitality business really either. Um, but if I, if I do this and if I lose everything, then I'm back, I'm, I'm to zero and that's okay. That's still an, an amazing opportunity. And I think I can, I think I can do this. Yeah. So that's a good spot to take a break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back to unpackage how you pulled it off. I love it. <laughs> 
This episode is brought to you by Margin Edge. Margin Edge is a restaurant management software that helps you see your food and labor cost in real time so you can make informed decisions in the moment. Just snap a picture of your invoice and Margin Edge will process them within 24 to 48 hours with line item detail, including handwritten adjustments. This allows you to save hours on paperwork so you can spend more time on creating great guest experience. Margin Edge combines purchases from your invoices and sales data from your POS, which allows you to get real-time costing, get a daily controllable P&L, and send information directly into your accounting system. Margin Edge integrates with 60-plus POS systems and dozens of accounting systems. Manage everything from one central location, inventory, recipes, plate costs, ordering, and bill pay. Margin Edge was created by restaurant people for restaurant people. And as a matter of fact, Margin Edge founders continue to operate restaurants to this day. Head to marginedge.com slash unstoppable to sign up for a free demo today. That's marginedge.com slash unstoppable. This episode is brought to you by Reachify. Are you overwhelmed by phone calls during peak mealtime hours? Why let the phone ring when Reachify can direct callers to online ordering, reservations, catering, and so much more? Instead of losing business, automatically turn calls into orders. Infuse your phone with smart technology that can save you time and money and increase revenue for your restaurant. And while Reachify is paying for itself, you can allow your employees to focus on other tasks instead of taking orders and answering facts that are easily found online. Driving digital sales should be a priority as it's been shown to lead to stronger loyalty and higher ticket averages. Not to mention you're getting that precious customer data that you can market to. Reachify, be in control of the conversations you want to have when you're able to have them. Hop on to reachify.io slash unstoppable to find out how to revolutionize the way your restaurant does business. And when you use that link, get one month free after onboarding. Again, that's reachify.io slash unstoppable. We're back in, um, in your timeline, you kind of just got to the point where you were showed this space that will become Death & Co. Um, in New York City, uh, you're kind of thinking to yourself, let's just go for it. What do I have to lose? Is kind yeah. of your your mentality. Before we dive into how you pulled it off, let's let's kind of start with the end in mind. Yeah. Paint the picture of what Death & Co. is today. <laughs> what it is today or what I was hoping it would become? What it is today. What it so is like, today. So oh like, I think you got, what, four locations across the country? Yeah, we're, we're, sit, we're sitting in our fourth location here in uh, Death & Co. D.C. today. Um, so we started with New York. Uh, then grew to Denver, which is our largest location inside the Ramble Hotel, then L.A., uh, which is in the Arts District, and now here in Blagton Alley in D.C. Uh, we've come out with three books. Um, we have had a longstanding consulting company called Proprietors LLC. We've opened over 50 different uh, F&B spots, um, consulted on 50 different F&B spots uh, through that company, um, which is largely wound down now. Um, and uh, we started a new hotel division uh, called Midnight Atur Hotels in partnership with Ryan Diggins, who owns the Ramble uh, in, in Denver. Um, 
and uh, we have our first hotel uh, that we're opening and that we actually own, co-own the, the um, real estate on as well, and that's in Savannah, which would be a 44-room hotel, um, kind of thriving hotel lobby, like F&B anchored hotel lobby, uh, rooftop pool, and, and um, all, all the sexy boutique hotel stuff, um, some really amazing suites and just super cool. We have a number of other uh, hotel uh, properties and projects that are in the works under Midnight at Terror. We have one in Bozeman, and then we're in discussions for Nashville and Lohi and Denver and a couple others. So that's really exciting. And then next year on our own brick-and-mortar front, we're expanding um, beyond Death & Co. into um, into a new brand, which I'll, I'll, I'll tell you now. It's called Close Company, um, which no one actually knows. This is the first time, nice. uh, first time we're sharing it. I might have to bump this up to the more recent release so I can be the, the one to break the news. <laughs> so we're opening up this new concept, Close Company, in uh, in Nashville um, and uh, at a, a standalone different location than the hotel discussion we're in. So opening in Nashville and then opening a Close Company in Atlanta and then we'll be opening up a new death and company in uh, Seattle next year. Um, All over the past, I think it was 2006, so 4, 14, 17 years to mm-hmm. go from no clue... <laughs> to no clue. what you're doing now, consulting across the world, opening different concepts, uh, different verticals within hospitality, you know, cocktail bars and hotels. Like it's an amazing story, man, what you've done with zero experience starting. Yeah. No, like, yeah. which is so inspiring. And that, that's kind of what I want to focus on. I like to start with the end of mind so right. we can kind of see like, okay, what do we have to cover? What's, what's been the evolution for you along the way? So take it back to 2006, New Year. Actually, I don't want to get right to opening day. Like, what was it like? Well, well, we missed a, we missed a couple quick oh. things in there too. <laughs> it's a long list these days, <laughs> which is awesome. But, um, we're, we're working on, uh, on an education platform that will launch next year, an online education platform, which will launch next year, which will be kind of the next iteration of all the content that we worked on with the books. So cocktail focused, obviously. Um, and then we also have uh, death and company marketplace, uh, which is our online store. Um, and we'll do, uh, over 600 K in uh, direct to consumer sales this year, which is very cool. Wow. And, um, then we also created, uh, these, uh, incredible, uh, canned cocktails, um, uh, under the brand, you know, Drink Fellows, but they're Death and Company canned cocktails, uh, and you can find those um, in I think fourteen different different states, and then they're also available um, countrywide, direct to consumer. And then we're working on expanding that uh, oh, as well. So yeah, ton, tons of cool stuff in the works. Anyway, we, I had to just get it all. No, in. I, mean, I love that. I love that. So we have <laughs> approximately an hour to unpackage the evolution. All right, I can, I can micro machine guy this whole thing, <laughs> which so, also dates me. Yeah. So looking at this, um, so two thousand six. Uh, was when you guys opened. Um, I mean, I guess really what I want to focus on, I like to say behind every great restaurant is a great person. Uh, and our mission is to transform the world by transforming the industry. So really what I want to focus on in your story is what was your, what were your points of evolution? How have you transformed? What were the, the key aha moments along the way? Yeah. Oh, man, that, that's, such, that's such a great question. Um, you know, in, I say this all the time. In the beginning, I was absolutely, completely focused on the liquid in the glass, and I still say today, in in you know, in somewhat of a joke, that really what we do is is we just pour really cold liquid in really pretty glasses, and that's kind of the focus of our company. Um, but that that really was my personal focus uh, early on. I was just uh, kind of interested and obsessed with. Um, like the, the product side of things. Um, I didn't really think about this as a business 
<laughs> which did you it, see this? Which, uh, it it was I don't know. Uh, it was it was a platform, I suppose. It was um, it was the pursuit of just truly exceptional cocktails. Like that's I was just I, I was I was wild for it, you know. And um, how we operated, I, I not to say I didn't care about it. I just it certainly wasn't my focus, you know. Um, well, I think it's important to point out in two thousand six, the cocktail industry isn't what it was is isn't what it was today yeah um, in the sense that there's been a lot of there's been this resurgence of like what it means to be a cocktail bar with you know going kind of like what happened in the food industry where really drilling down it's all about the ingredients it's all about scratch making your own bitters and all this stuff and going back to the old way mm-hmm. right we kind of got away from that for a period of time mm-hmm. and it sounds like you in your i think the mission statement i um i have written down for you or what you were trying to do a return to service craft and authenticity uh endless readings and hosting cocktail roundtables wait that's not what i went to read i, mean, I read something <laughs> somewhere that like you're yeah it was just that what that one line right there a return to service craft and authenticity yeah i mean it was it was just goal focused it was not business focused okay what was the goal um to have co- the best cocktails yeah, I mean, we really wanted to just see how far we could push. You know, the the uh, one of one of the things, kind of prevailing ideas at the time, is that a, a menu should really only be eight to ten drinks long. You know, Dave, David Wondrich suggested like that's really all it should be. Um, and I love David Wondrich. It's not not meant to to contradict him at all. But we were like, all right, well, how far can we go? And at one point, we had I think ninety six original cocktails on our menu. And we would change the menu all the time. It was just crazy. It was absolutely wild, wildly masochistic. Just like we just, it's it's just all we did. It's all we thought about. I've been to the Death and Co in New York, and I know what I don't know what it was like in two thousand seventeen or two thousand seven, but it's literally a book. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a the menu is a book. Yeah, it's a lot, and it's probably less now than it was then. A lot less. Yeah, yeah a lot less now. I think we're about thirty four cocktails at each of the locations. Maybe, maybe even a little less. Um and. Uh, yeah, and and so, yeah, that was the pursuit. That was really it. And for the first seven ish years of of my seven eight years of of kind of my quote unquote career, um, uh, that 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 was a hundred percent of my focus. Um, a big transformational point, and we already touched on this, was was my exposure to um, uh, to, to Sean Fitner, to uh, what he was doing and preaching and teaching, um, and and some of these kind of foundational business entrepreneurial ideas, you know, a quarterly cadence, um, your, your, your mission, your core values, like all of these, uh, somewhat common ideas and structures were totally foreign to me. And so it really, uh, started this kind of internal domino, uh, effect, uh, of me just finding that as my new motivation, my, my new pursuit. Um, and, and I've just been, kind of endlessly hungry for it ever since. So you said this was seven to eight years into opening Death & Co? Was it 2014, 2015? Yeah, I mean, I, I knew enough uh, shortly after we opened to know that I didn't know much. And so I, I formed a consulting company called Proprietors LLC. And at that point, we had um, uh, Alex Day on the staff. And Alex and I hit it off very quickly. Um, you know, we, we, have, uh, we have a ton in common. And Alex has wild acumen for 99% of everything that we do and 100% of the things that I have very little acumen in. 
He was an amazing bartender, great technician, um, just brilliant mind. And so we, we partnered on proprietors and, uh, shortly thereafter, um, like literally as the ink was drying from the LLC papers, uh, someone called me from, uh, Philadelphia and said, Hey, we would love for you guys to help us open a bar. I said, Oh, what, well, what are you interested? Well, we just love death and co. And honestly, if we could just open death and co down here, that would be amazing. I was like, well, you can't do that. But I do consult. We have this new consulting company yeah. <laughs> that can help you do everything. And so we did everything for the Franklin Mortgage and Investment Company and got to do that with Alex and a couple other folks. Joaquin helped uh, open it as well and worked with uh, Interior Designer. We literally named it. Did our, our friend did the logo. Like We did 100% of everything. Alex did the like bar design. And so after that, we were like, oh, okay, this makes sense. And so I knew we had something magical in Death & Co. And I wanted to get better at doing this. And I wanted to better understand the business. And I wanted someone to pay me to get better at doing it. And so that's what the consulting company was. I was like, I want to do this for a long time. I don't know if I want to do it forever, but I want to do it for as long as I can see out into the future. I want when to you see, say this, you just mean the bar industry. You open yeah, bars. Yeah. This, perfecting this, the... the the art that is the, the business of bars. Yeah, this incredible thing that we get to do and pursue. Yeah, I, I, I want to do this for a long time. And so, um, yeah, that's that's how the consulting business was born. So that was 2009. You said it took you about six to eight, seven to eight years to get to the point where you really started to drill down and focus on like the economics of a bar. Before, it seems like leading into this, you were more, uh, the appeal was the cocktails and the aesthetic. And and with, with proprietors, it became a lot about the process and... Um, you know the t- the technical aspects of opening technical like what i'm i mean you know what do we need how can we do it efficiently it was less like how can we ensure that it makes a lot of money that came way later or make any money at all um and uh it, it was more about you know staff training functional bars uh speed and efficiency it, it was about how can we do this better on every single every single step of the way and there was a really high intimidation factor that i had personally i i know alex did as well on kind of the business of bars like how do we make sure that um it's profitable that it makes money that we really tune the engine and so going back to well zooming way out so there was this how do we capture the magic and the first step to kind of capturing the magic was proprietors uh really understanding well i'd say proprietors was about Capturing and capturing the process and refining the process. The next step for for me was really like this this kind of entrepreneurial pursuit, and the the I don't even want to say the craft, the artistry that can be creating great culture, and how do you create a great culture, a great place to work, and then almost lastly, it was how can you make a really great business. And how can you gain the confidence to speak to that business? And so, you know, there there, there have definitely been kind of phases in this evolution. Um, and they've all been pretty distinct. And the business side of it, they've also almost been forced, right? So, like, when we look to expand, I wanted to understand how we could capture the culture and the magic. You know, so first was understanding the fundamentals. That was kind of proprietors. Understanding how to capture the magic was like, all right, we're going to grow what are we doing here at Death & Co. New York that is resonating so well and how can we replicate it and what is it to grow a brand, right? And so I've always had that in mind, this idea of growing a brand. And part of capturing that magic was writing the book, right? So not just expanding to other doors, but the first Death & Company book. Um, Which launched 2014? Yeah. yeah. And 
And my goal with that book was to not replicate, to not just add something to the pre-existing kind of canon of death and co, or, or I'm sorry, of cocktail books. I wanted to really reimagine what a cocktail book could be. Because I would, I would look in the cookbook section of the library or the bookstore, and those were f- so inspiring. You would feel like you were part of this culinary artistry of this world, right? Do you have any of those books on site right now? Of our books, of the of the um, cookbooks, yeah. Um, and now we just oh, all man. all of all of our site uh, or on on our marketplace, it's all cocktail books. Um, I, we should feature more cookbooks because that's really where I, I directly drew inspiration from. Because you would open those books and you would feel like you were part of that world, yeah. and you would open cocktail books before, and you're like, oh, this is information. This is a Rolodex. You know, I was like, man, I want a book that feels like you're opening the door to our front door that's, that's cool. open, opening the door to death and co and you are part of this world and you understand what it is to work here what it is to be a, a regular here and so we tried to give a window in, into that world so expanding to that trying to capture that magic expanding to denver trying to capture that magic and creating that culture along the way and then um you know when you go to raise money that's another like forced evolutionary point where it's like all right and for me it was like all right dave you have to get confident in speaking to the every single detail of this business because you're now taking on and responsible for others, other folks' money. Right. And so, you know, we did, we've done some small raises in the past, some, some kind of, you know, various raises for single doors, et cetera, and various partnership things, but we've never done a big raise. We, we did a, a $2.7 million raise in 2018. And that's when we really formed Gin and Luck and we consolidated everything under Gin, under Gin and Luck. Um, and now all of our various businesses are 100% owned by Gin & Luck, with the exception of the hotel side, which is a 50-50 partnership, again, uh, with Ryan Diggins. And, and so um, uh, and, and speaking to that, like doing a crowdfunding campaign was like literally probably the, the, the most terrifying thing I could think of. It's like, all right, you're going to throw yourself off of this cliff and you're going to try to swim or fly or survive one way or the other. I've been thinking about doing a crowd rating crowdfunding raising campaign we can talk about it for yeah. hours that could be another I whole know, man i'm that's just a little teaser I'm, i might be getting an rv soon and i might need some help let's <laughs> let's let's talk about it man i've yeah so we we did that 2018 raise and i felt like i was a senator running for re-election i was working oh, the phones man. i was just like it was wild um but it also gave me the confidence uh to go on and, and to do another raise we did one in 2021 a six million dollar raise um and uh, and we crushed it. It was six million dollar raise out of a six million dollar goal. We had a we're oversubscribed. Um, the previous raise was two point seven million out of a three million dollar goal. Um, one, it was the most successful F and B raise side by side raise um, on that crowdfunding site's history. And then the six million dollar raise was the most successful. Wow, that's crazy. And, and um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's wild. It's wild. But um, you know those the, quickly before we move on to. I don't know any of a million subjects well, we could talk about. I've been taking notes because right. I, I, it sounds like I got the evolution kind of locked in, but finish your train of thought. In all of this, there's there's one truth, right? Well, there's probably many, but there's there's one truth. Doing hard shit begets doing harder shit, right? So you wake up every day and you do something hard. Tomorrow you're going to be able to do something harder. And that's true of whatever it is, business, working out, like finding your emotional compass, your ability to communicate, your ability to listen, you wake up and you challenge yourself, you will be able to do harder shit the next day and it will seem easier a little bit. 
it's like I always compare it to like doing crunches. For right. some reason, doing crunches or shit like that, it's always so hard right. until you're doing it. <laughs> well, where you're like, man, it's still really hard. I yeah. can tell I'm getting stronger, but it's still really hard. <laughs> That's what I feel about business. Like every day, I'm like, man, this still feels really hard. We're doing things I never could have yeah. imagined doing even a year or two ago. I mean, this is why I love studying the human brain and how the brain works because once you figure, it's like a car. Like if you're driving down the road and you hear some like tinkering or some like weird noise that you know that's that's not right, it creates fear and anxiety because you don't know what that noise is. Right. But once you understand how the engine works and you can identify what that noise is and you know it's just like a loose something that you'll be fine and you know like I know how to fix that, you override it and you mm. get over it. Mm-hmm. Your your brain's the same way. And once you figure out that like you know like your emotions, your thoughts are not, you're not defined by your thoughts. You're not defined by your emotions. And once you figure out that the brain is extremely plastic in that, like you can literally change neural pathways in your brain daily. If you just choose to put the energy to create the habits and to like, you know, make those grooves get deeper and deeper. And, um, Knowing how the brain works, it's almost like a cheat code. Yeah, because like, you you feel these things like this this anxiety, like rising in you to go do something, and you know that it's not as bad. the The thing that you have to do isn't as bad as the anxiety that is leading into the thing. Just do it. Yeah, you know. Um, so the things that I I kind of pulled from that terror you went on, <laughs> your evolution <laughs> for you, it started with just the craft, the cocktail, the the art. Uh, the, the thing that drew you into the industry, right? Mm-hmm. Then over time, the, the focus shifted towards the process, the fundamentals. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it went from culture and growing culture and brands. And have, how do you create legs? How, can, how do you give this thing legs? How do you scale it? Uh, and then from there, um, how to just generally create an overall, a holistically great business. Is that, did I, did I distill it down? Yeah, yeah. So let's, let's put those into silos. Okay. Starting with process and fundamentals. Like what, in terms again of transformation of key aha moments, your growth. What were the the things in terms of process and fundamentals that you learned early on that you can pay for it for our listeners? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest the biggest one is is almost so simple. It's it's damning, um, and, and but it's it's one that I think we fight uh, almost tooth and nail in our industry. Um, it's that you know we need structure. Like everything needs structure. Um, you know, so whether it's an opening process and we say the word process very intentionally, I mean, part of EOS, right. Which I'm sure we'll touch on at some oh, point. Can't wait. Um, yeah, me too. Such a nerd for it. Um, but you know, we, I think we as humans thrive, uh, with structure because structure and having lines that we can then be creative in is freeing. A blank piece of paper is, is somewhat terrifying regardless of what it is. Right. But like having somewhere to start and some structure um, is, is really freeing. So working on what that structure is, whether it is, again, opening process or menu building process or um, is that a doorbell? I, I think it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, before you go any further with that, I want to kind of unpackage something you just yeah. said. Structure is freeing. Yeah. That sounds very counterintuitive. When you think of structure, you think this isn't freeing. This yeah. is restrictive. But get into why structure is freeing how it becomes freeing yeah you, you know regardless of the creative endeavor um i think we as humans function better with structure it allows us a sense of ease because we then know the parameters that we're uh, emotionally or otherwise allowed to kind of play within so you know take something that i think we can all relate to right like take uh, a menu uh a, say a cocktail menu if i said hey create a cocktail menu 
someone would say, okay, well, what's, what's, what's it for? What's the restaurant? What's the bar? Say, so, well, it's, you know, fill in whatever gaps. It's a cocktail bar. Uh, it's in DC. Um, it's up a flight of stairs. Um, that's, that's all you need to know. All right. That's a little bit of structure. Um, but what you really want is to say, all right, it's an aspirational cocktail bar. We would like the price point to be, you know, between 18 and $24. Uh, we want it to be a pretty extensive list. Uh, we want it broken down into five different categories. Um, and we want about four to six cocktails within each of those different categories. And we want to assure an appropriate balance between glassware uh, and spirits um, uh, and also drink style, right? All right, great. Well, there's a fuckload of structure. Now I can go about the creative pursuit of each of those and filling each of those boxes and you can do almost anything with that. Um, but ultimately, what you're going to have in the end is a better product, and you're going to have a clearer path of travel. So it's going to be less wasted time and less wasted energy to get there. Right. Right. And that's just a one sim- small, simple example, right? But the more structure you apply onto something, as long as you also allow for human creativity, breathing room, collaboration, and like deviation from structure, uh, then you know, the, the better and hopefully easier things become. Right. So it, it takes the fear, the anxiety out of it for yeah. your team. Like when you paint the picture of what the job done right supposed to look like, what the aiming point is, it gives you, and then within those confines, within that structure, here's your freedom. But if you just say, go do the job and you give people no clear direction of what the job, like people are going to be like, am I doing it right? Like it's, yeah. it's not a good feeling. Well, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a very it, restrictive feeling. It, it also comes back to like part of structure is knowing what success looks like, defining what done looks like knowing what success looks like. So, you know, everyone wants to feel to your point, everyone wants to feel like they did a great job. They crushed it. Right. So how do they know? Right. How do they know? You, you have to define what it is, have structure along the way, right? So that will empower them through the process. But what I just said, those words are actually very important. Not just what does done look like, but what does success look like? Mm. Because then it's like, oh, yeah, I completed it. That's okay. But yeah, no, I succeeded in that. Well, that's great. That also speaks to the power of language. And again, a lot of this comes back to um, process. A lot of it comes back to culture, um, comes back to kind of this creative entrepreneurial pursuit of how you create a good business. And I don't think we're a great business. I think we're an okay business trying to be a good business, eventually trying to get to being a great business. That's certainly our aspiration. Um, but within our core values, one of them is pursuit of excellence. It's not, we're great today. It's like, no, we're going to wake up and we're going to try really hard to get a little better every day. That's the pursuit. Yeah. I interviewed, um, Rudy Mick, a consultant, I think I discovered him in the book, A Slice of the Pie, and he's somebody who's been very active at Restaurant Unstoppable. He said, your job as a restaurateur is to paint the picture of the perfection, the job done right. Mm -hmm. That is your job, is Mm -hmm. to, to give your team the aiming point, the picture of the job done right. What does that look like? And then to help them achieve that. Mm-hmm. Like that is your goal, and that is what process is. And I, I, I've also had Mike Payton on the show. I don't know if you know that name. Yeah. So he's behind, He's with uh, EOS, and he wrote the book Process. Mm-hmm. So again, everything that you're saying, like it, it's it's counterintuitive because you think systems, processes, procedures, yuck. Yeah. Who wants exactly. to exist in that? But the truth is, once you once you prioritize the most important thing, the the twenty things that are responsible for 80% of your productivity, then you can crush those 20, that, that 20%. And then it frees up time for the creative, for the chaos to grow. Yeah. And it's, it's weird that it's not intuitive, but what's going through your mind as I'm saying this. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm it's, it's one of those things where it's, it's like, I almost wish there was a third party here to like argue against it. Cause I'm like, exactly. We're <laughs> on the same team. Like, right. yeah. So, um, 
I mean, before we move on to the, the next evolution for you, culture, um, what, how did process manifest in your businesses? What was this process of creating process like for you? I think the, I think the first glimpse into it was really working with Alex and understanding, um, how differently we approach the world. And it, 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 when we eventually discovered EOS, which was after my phenomenally eye-opening work, not to say my work was phenomenal, but the, the, I, the phenomenally eye-opening um, experience I had with, with, uh, with Sean, um, with Sean Fittner. When was that? Oh, gosh, when was that? 2018? 20, I, I'm not sure. I'd have to go back and look. Okay, got it. Maybe 2016. I'm terrible with sort of this linear EOS was after Sean. You, yeah, EOS was after Sean. So I, you know, I, I, I loved working with Sean, um, but felt like I was in a little bit of a different place than some of the other operators we were working together with. Um, and I, I was like, well, it's, it's kind of tough for me to get there. I'm just looking for what's next. And, um, uh, I, I had kind of a, a lunch or cocktail catch up with a friend, uh, this guy, Dan Ryan, who, uh, is in a different side of the hospitality world. He, uh, uh, brought in or produced furniture for uh for hotels and i told him i was like yeah oh actually i walked up i was like oh what are you doing he's like oh i'm journaling i'm um it's just part of you know this this new reflective um kind of uh, entrepreneurial piece of of my landscape that i'm working on and uh, i was like that's that's actually really cool um what else are you doing he's like well you know i'm working through traction and i found a coach and paying them this amount and this is what it is and he was like do you have a system. Do you have an operating system? I was like, no. I was like, I'm kind of piecemealing it from a lot of this stuff that I learned, but a lot of this sounds like it makes, you know, that it vibes with this ecosystem that I'm seeking out or trying to trying to find and create. Um, anyway, he introduced us to EOS. Where I was going with that is that um, through EOS uh, and through like Rocket Fuel and understanding Visionary and um, uh, Integrator, and these are EOS terms, so I do not think of myself as a visionary human, but in EOS terms, I sit in the visionary seat. Yes. I just want that to be a big caveat. Be like, who is this guy calling himself <laughs> a visionary? Um, so You're you very know, much visionary. I, I will say it. I'll, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm plying you with cocktails to say nice <laughs> things about me. Um, uh, so it was through EOS that I understood uh, how Alex, you know, what I'm naturally, what I naturally kind of uh, am predisposed to be good at or love uh, which is a lot of stuff that's typical visionary founder stuff so like big picture selling uh, future looking things like all these things that come very very naturally to me to think about and all these things that's that uh, on the integrator side of things that come very very naturally to alex which is like structure linear process and so very early on um i i had such reverence and appreciation still do uh for for alex and the way that he thought through things and so that was kind of my first real exposure to like, oh, okay, let's systemize everything, document it, throw it in Excel sheets, put process behind it was really just how Alex understood the world. And then cut to EOS. We're like, oh, you have an integrator mind. I have this visionary, quote unquote, visionary mind. Like I think of things in like, uh, uh, you know, future looking uh, aspects in terms of like, I can clearly see what we need to do to get to this place five years from now. Yeah. Alex is the rocket fuel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So every every entrepreneur, most people listening to this are likely falling into the category of visionary entrepreneur. Um, and you need somebody in your life who's good. I think um, there's a Simon Sinek calls it being a, a how guy versus being you're a why guy. You need a how guy. Exactly. Uh, Gary Van or uh, uh, what is that? 
Vanderchuk. Why, why can't I think of his name right now? Gary. I, I can't. I never say his name out loud. I know what you're talking Gary about. V. <laughs> Gary V. Gary V. Gary V. He talks about being um, an in the clouds guy. Yep. Why? Or versus being in the dirt. How? And like, unless you have that person that compliments you, who can take your vision, take your ideas and help you figure out how to do it, how Mm -hmm. to execute, how to put it to process, you will never get off the ground. Yep. Yeah. And, and a lot, a lot of visionaries try to do both and really struggle. And I, I was one of them. I mean, I, 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 I learn enough about myself and enough about that integrator role to, um, have a level of fluency, which I think everyone needs, but it's never going to come naturally to me. Right. In uh, EOS, um, I, I've had Mike Payton on the show. He, he wrote the book process. My goal is to get all the, in, in the, the library of the, the, the traction library is what they call it. Yep. Um, all the co-authors on the show. Rocket fuel is my next one. I'm going to be in Dallas pretty soon. I would love to get that, that, but I mean, this is huge. So when you started implementing the, the lessons from EOS, which stands for the entrepreneurial operating system, like what is EOS to you? EOS, yeah, I mean, EOS was the structure and the framework that I was looking for. It was, it was, it was awesome. It is awesome. I mean, it's, it's all right there. It is, it is the structure um, and system upon which you can run your company. Uh, It's industry agnostic. Um, I will say that it is different trying to implement it in a restaurant bar uh, company than it is, you know, office environment, et cetera. There's just stuff that you have to kind of think through. How do you, how do you make this relevant at the line level? And, um, some of it you, you just, you just can't, can't or don't, or just have to hybridize a little bit. What's unique about the restaurant industry specifically? Um, you know, the, the nature of, um, part-time folks, uh, coming in the nature of, uh, shifts, um, you know, you're, you're not necessarily working on teams on a project. You're coming in for service. You're coming in for service. So, um, you know, I'm sure there are other industries that, that would have kind of comparable EOS implementation challenges. Um, but in terms of, um, leadership and national, um, and how we run our company, what we do. I mean, it has been absolutely transformational for us professionally and personally. I mean, it gives you, has given me such clarity in what we're doing, who we are, what our goals are. Um, and I think an equally powerful takeaway from, from EOS, from implementing EOS professionally, is I've essentially implemented it personally and you know, uh, used the VTO, which is Vision yes. Traction Organizer, which is just... It was on the tip of my tongue. I was like, I'm going to let him say it first. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's such a great tool. Such a great tool, which is really kind of a two-pager, which outlines um, your, uh, your, your mission, your purpose, your 10-year vision, um, uh, marketing, uh, and your, your three-year, your one-year... Um, none uh, of this quarter, stuff is new. Issues. It's none, none, of, no none of it's new, new stuff. It, it just stitches it all together in a way that is incredibly uh digestible yes. and actionable yes and um so and, so we ha- you know we have this for everyone with in our company um uh every department within our company uh has quarterlies annuals everyone has their standing l10 meetings i mean it really gave so much structure to our company um and it's a process for growth yeah. And that's the thing. So I, the way I describe it, it's when you build a restaurant, every restaurant's unique. There's no two restaurants that are exactly the same. Even if they're the same restaurant, same you know concept in different places, they're still not the same restaurant. So you need to build that on something. And the way that I the, – the EOS is the foundation for which you build the business on. Mm-hmm. And it bakes this idea of constantly growing. It creates systems for constantly growing because it's forcing you to say, what can we do better? Mm-hmm. Every Every – 
like I think it starts with 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. Every 10 years. And then you have your five, like that's what you're doing with your annual meetings. You're like, are we on track for our goals? And it forces you to break the system to make it better and to have dialogue and goals. And like, and without the a process for growth, you just stay stagnant. Right. And, there's also a ton of accountability baked into it. Everyone sees what everyone's working on in a way that fosters uh, healthy communication, transparency. I mean, it it is there's systems for communication. Yeah, it 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 uh, there, there's a communication cadence in terms of the weekly L10s, of course. Oh, I mean, I feel like any time um, that I talk about it, I feel like EOS should like you know um, I don't know send me an EOS T-shirt or something. Like I'm <laughs> such a shill for them, and even though we have zero affiliation. Um, but yeah, no, it really, that has been transformational. And again, I applied that same VTO um, exercise to my personal life and it allows you a compass of, you know, where you're going. So if you, if you say, and let's take this away from business for just a moment, if I write down my goals, right, and we can pull up the stats and this would be more powerful if I had them. But if I, if I say out loud, say what my goals are out loud, it's pretty likely that I'm going to achieve them. If I write them down, it's whatever it is, three, four, five, six, seven times more likely. If I write them down and I talk about them and have some level of accountability with, with someone else about them, then it's even more likely Why? that I'm going Why to, that to achieve them. Um, because, because then you have that sort of band of brothers responsibility. You don't want to let someone else down, right? Um, and there's escalating levels of intention in every step of, 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 those, uh, of that sequence. And so um, you know, creating your personal VTO allows you some self-reflection that we rarely allow ourselves, right? And so acknowledging that, I think everyone can say, oh, okay, this makes sense for a business. I'm going to say, well, you can do it for yourself first, and then that will show you where your compass truly is, and that will allow you to make better decisions in your business and your personal life too. Yeah, you got to lift yourself up before you can lift up. you got to literally get to a higher point personally before you can pull other people to that point. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, um, anyway, EOS has been transformational for the business for me personally. For uh, it's it's been uh, it's been incredible. Yeah, Restaurant Unstoppable uses EOS. There's only three or four of us at a time working, so we're not truly using we're 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 implementing level ten meetings. We're using the language, um, but it, it is a game changer. Um, I, I'm trying. To, like, I want to promote the crap out of EOS personally because I, I love what I think every restaurant should be doing this. And you know, I said it at the beginning of this of, of this kind of part that we're talking about now restaurants are so i think generally right and you know whatever massively generalizing here but restaurants are afraid of structure we didn't get into this business to like structure um you know many of us are are kind of romantics and want to yeah dreamers and and craftspeople and we we want a a beautiful dish and a beautiful cocktail and and a moment with that person and like you know who wants spreadsheets and all any of this stuff but the reality is you have that as the foundation and then you can walk on to the stage that is and you know uh, will be our, our bars and our restaurants and then you can be in that moment instead of worrying yeah. if things are crumbling or things aren't coming in or what, whatever it is. Yeah, so, the checklist has been completed. You yeah. know everything's done. It provides freedom, peace of mind. It's yeah. powerful. So we have to still cover what you learned about culture. That was the next evolution for you, culture and brand and scaling. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back to unpackage that recently on the show you've been hearing it come up often 
Restaurant Systems Pro. If you've become interested, I highly recommend you sign up for the Restaurant System Pro 60-day pilot program. This is something that's never been done before. This 60-day event is at no cost to you, but it's not for everyone. Fred Langley, CEO of Restaurant Systems Pro, will be leading a group of restaurant tours through the Restaurant Systems Pro software and setting up the system for your restaurant. Fred will be leading the training, supporting you, and holding you accountable. Typically, this costs $10,000 a month to have Fred in your restaurant, but during this no-cost-to-you 60-day training, he will be teaching you every process he does during the group coaching sessions, and nothing will be held back. During the 60 days, Fred will walk you through the Restaurant Systems Pro process and help you crush the following goals recipe costing cards, guidance in your books for accounting, cash control, sales forecasting with accuracy, checklist, budgeting for the entire year, scheduling for profit, more butts in seats, and that's not it. Often, the team at Restaurant Systems Pro helps restaurateurs out pro bono because their hearts go out to these folks. I mean, it's hard out there, but because of that, a lot of the time these restaurateurs don't follow through because they have no skin in the game. For that reason, there is an application process. Only those serious about making change in their operation will be accepted into this program. Are you interested? Then go to restaurantunstoppable.com slash RSP. P. That's RSP for Restaurant Systems Pro. RestaurantUnstoppable.com slash RSP. This episode is brought to you by Pop Menu. There are a lot of elements to consider when growing your restaurant. Are you connecting with your diners enough and with the right message? Or could your kitchen put out more orders than your dining area has room for? It can be a lot and very overwhelming when you got into this business for the food and the people. And that's why restaurants get pop menu. Pop menu is the restaurant technology designed to make growing your restaurant easy with pop menu. You can attract more guests to your website. That's designed to easily collect their contact info and data. So you can see what your guests love and why they dine with you with pop menu. You can also stay top of mind and build authentic relationships with guests by using modern technology that drives new and repeat business. And also pop menu lets you make all your systems work better together, improve margins and conquer the chaos of restaurants, digital presence. Pop Menu, technology for restaurants ready to grow. If you are a Restaurant Unstoppable listener, you can get $100 off your first month, plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. Go now to get $100 off your first month at popmenu.com slash unstoppable. We are back, and we have approximately 15 minutes left together. Ah. In the terms of just your growth relative to culture and branding before we dive into those. So I know what we have to unpackage. Give me the biggest, like the biggest, like, I don't know, the, the chapters of, in terms of branding and culture that have been the aha moments for you. So we know what we have to unpackage in the next 15 minutes. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the biggest, um, the biggest step forward in terms of, what the brand is. And in this case, we're talking about Death & Co, right? Yeah. So our, our company has done a lot of different things, but Death & Co is still front, center, focus, whatever you want to say. It is the halo and yeah. will continue to be. That is our intention. Um, you know, the biggest step for us was Denver. And it was very intentional 
even though it was reactive, you know, we got an email from Ryan who owns the Ramble Hotel and Death Hill Denver is inside this beautiful 50 room boutique hotel in Denver. Um, uh, it was very intentional in that it is so different from Death and Coe's Village. And so we knew that was a huge risk and we wanted to go about it in a way that proved the elasticity of our brand and that it was more than just those four walls, um, that it can be something so different and still feel so similar. Um, and so, yeah, we, we set about accomplishing that and really asking ourselves just hundreds of questions about like, what is Death & Co? What is Death & Co in Denver? What is Death & Co outside of the East Village? What is Death & Co um, in this outdoor space, which is called The Garden? Uh, and at the Ramble, what is Death and Co in this little mezzanine bar, uh, which we call Sweet Six A? Like, what does Death and Co look like when it's doing events there? Uh, you know, we have everything from like weddings to everything else. I mean, we have we went from twelve hundred ish square feet in New York to twelve thousand square feet of F and B space in Denver. We wow. went from no windows to these soaring windows and double height ceilings. Like, it is so different, so so different every single way. And you go in there, and you're still like, yeah, no, this is Death and Co. So to be able to like uh, kind of create this beautiful brand journey, um, or at least we've <laughs> we've loved it. I think it's a beautiful journey um, with the book and with our Instagram, which is important to touch on, even though I, I, I don't think everyone kind of thinks of social media necessarily that way. We're like, this is just another way for us to kind of show, polish, and kind of play with uh, the facets of our brand of this little jewel that that we get to continuously build upon or anywhere your brand shows up it's it's an extension of your dining room floor is it is is a part of your brand so if i'm understanding in terms of um the aha moments the evolution when you're when you when you pivoted away from culture and realizing that the next big area of growth for you personally is understanding culture and brand and how to scale that what were the biggest lessons on how to scale brand and culture and it sounds like the first lesson if i pulled it out correctly is just distilling what is it is is sitting around a table and defining what it is is that what is that the major takeaway yeah well a couple things i mean we never turned our attention from one thing to the next like it was it was very it, it was it was sort of amorphous how we kind of continued to evolve and it's only in this kind of conversation where we're looking at it in hindsight and saying okay there are these steps here and they're kind of were and they're kind of kind of wasn't you know we're we're applying a little bit of of uh you know structure in this in this hindsight uh you know game of hindsight that we're playing now um but yeah you know when we turned to expansion when we turned to growing outside of the east village um we you know sat down and wrote you know and reflected and asked ourselves questions um and uh, exactly as I said, and that was this big, almost a point of no return. And so it, it's it's not just that it's an aha moment, but it's like, okay, we're stepping off this precipice and it's going to happen and it will either succeed or fail. Um, you know, this expansion of Death & Co. will either succeed or fail. And it's a, it was at a time where very few, almost no other bars were growing in the way that we were. And still, it's pretty rare. Um and, and certainly not with such massive differences from one to the next. And so we loved that this was this kind of frontier, this new challenge of like, oh, okay, well, let's see if we can do it because we felt like no one else really is. But other other restaurants have done it. Um, other brands 
you know, uh, in the world have done it, just not very many other cocktail uh, spots. So that, w- that was this big step into the unknown for, for us. That was a big demarcation point. So anybody listening to this is who's facing this, this task of taking magic, something that they built one location, they've had extreme success, and the next objective is to scale, is to, is to take it to a different city. What, what are the things you need to do first before you scale, before you take it to the next city? I mean, even the, the same things that you need to do before you open your first project or your second project or your third is like write it all down, have a concrete plan, know that plan is malleable, reflect on it, talk about it with others, like really understand what those core tenants and takeaways are that you want to see. And for us, like there were some really simple things, right? So we wanted the same menu book. Um, we wanted the same menu categories. We wanted the cocktails to be totally different at each because the cocktails are, are a reflection of the people. Mm. And, it's, and that's how we reflect the town because the spaces that we have are, they're just spaces, right? Like these businesses come to life only because of the incredible people that we employ. So how do we shine a spotlight on them? Well, the product that they create that goes across the bar, they should be proud of and it should be from them. So um, the how stays the same, but the what changes? The, yes, yeah, the okay. I I would also say that <laughs> if we're if we're yeah not so to confuse by how it, but the, I mean like the, how you structure everything right how, the process stays the same mm-hmm. but the the the, the product the, itself is the different. end the experience what? is or the you know the, the consumer is different in different market the, so you have to change some things but the but I guess am I saying that right Yeah yeah so the what is the product in this case and that that changes however it should look the same to feel like there's a consistency within the brand and that the brand is reliable right and so you know uh the start with why start with why and simon Sinek is is a great example where it's like volkswagen created that luxury car and we were all like what the fuck are you doing <laughs> so like as death and co expanded we we're like okay this is still death and co some things are going to be true we are a product focused organization like it's a product focused cocktail bar we put the cocktail and our guest on a pedestal and this is really about the connectivity of um of people coming in it is not about us and our showmanship or about you know the bartender as entertainer or you know this is really about exceptional service in a very like friendly and familial sort of way um with this like wildly passion and passion about cocktails and product that we are excited to share. So there are these foundational elements of our brand that, that are there. And then a lot of the other stuff can be different, right? Um, you know, just like, I don't know, to go back to Volkswagen, which is a weird comparison. <laughs> um, you can have a bunch of different cars, but they're telling the same story, right? If the core values are consistent and the same, and we had our defined core values, we had our brand tenants defined, um, and the rest of the stuff you can really kind of play with. Right. Um, so this is this next question. We're going to start wrapping it up. Uh, this next question actually comes from Sean Finter. Oh, boy. Uh, and we had a long conversation on his porch in uh, Annapolis at the Franklin House. I'm sure yeah. you're familiar with it. Yeah. I think it's the Franklin House. Is what yeah, it's called, it is. Right? Um, and I was just trying to get as much advice from this guy as possible, right? Because he's an amazing dude. Yeah. Um, and he said, you should start asking this question. Um, what is unstoppable about you? In Death and Co. If you could distill the, the the elements of what you do and what Death and Co. are, what makes you unstoppable? Man, that's a great question. Yeah, fucking Sean. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I I I think the cumulative effect of the cumulative power of wildly passionate people is unstoppable, and we are lucky enough to uh, share our passion like openly, widely, loudly, and attract people that are equally passionate. And 
I firmly believe in what we do and I firmly believe in the people that we are surrounded by within our company and that, you know, there, there will be problems that we encounter and I'll say on our L10, I'm like, there's too many smart people around this company for us to not be able to figure this out. We got this. I think, I think the power of that passion, um, is is ultimately unstoppable i love that man uh, this has been a lot of fun uh, thank you for making time for me i know you're super busy opening restaurants across the country and scaling this thing and uh you know i'm happy we're able to connect out here um before we say goodbye let me ask you who do you respect and admire you know there's a lot of people that said i should connect with you who do you think i should connect with i'm really trying to let this be my north star with how i decide who becomes a guest on the show oh man that is so cool um yeah God, it's I'm sure it's a long list. <laughs> it's, it, it it is a long list. You know, I mean, the people the, the people that I'm most inspired by right now are are people that are are focused on on the business first and are, are focused on like giving and creating. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, almost everything that I take in from like an inspiration point. It's like so many of the authors that we've already been talking about. It's like you know, um, business coaches. I mean the I'll, I'll, I'll tell you exactly how, I mean, another transformative piece of my life and all of these things. I mean, I owe Sean so much credit. I just got to, I got almost have to close by saying, thank you, Sean. Yeah. Everything he has ever told me and suggested has been absolutely true. He was like, you need a system. You need a coach. Finally have a system. (laughs) I finally have a business coach. And that's where I was going. Um, Mary Pat and I has been an incredible business coach to us. And the power of having a coach a professional coach is really amazing, especially in this industry where it's tough to know what your North star is, uh, what your peers are going through because it's always a little different and it's really hard to connect with them. Um, and so, uh, talking to someone who talks to a ton of other folks in exactly your position, um, is an amazing privilege and something that, uh, that I think anyone in this could, could really, really use. So there are tons of other folks in hospitality I think you could talk to, but I think talking to someone adjacent, like a business coach, like Mary Pat Knight, who used to work for Let Us Entertain You. Um, I, I think she would be phenomenal and also incredibly inspirational writer, great book, all that good stuff. What's her book? Uh, Humanized Leader. Um, and uh, we did a Humanized Leader uh, study group uh, in our company. She is out to create great leaders uh, with high EQ um, that lead with their their whole selves, um, which is rare, especially in our industry, which is, you know... Um, which is unfortunate. Look out, Mary. I'm coming after you. She's um, great. Where's she based? You know, she's based in Chicago. Oh, nice. Yep. Uh, Mary, I'm coming after you. I'd love to get you on the show. And if we're listening to this um, and we're inspired by you <clears throat> uh, and maybe we want to come work for you. Yeah. Uh, you're growing. There's a lot of opportunity in this, in this organization. What's the best way to connect? Yeah, we're, we're always hiring. Our hiring link is on our website, um, deathandcompany.com or ginandluck.com. Um, and, uh, my email, uh, always super accessible D period Kaplan at ginandluck.com, um, or Dave at deathandcompany.com. Um, social at- handles. Uh, DK proprietors is my, uh, is my Instagram. You'll mostly just find pictures of my, uh, my beautiful wife and my beautiful daughter and now more and more some running. Um, nice. but you know, if you're here for that, I'm here for you. Uh, awesome. yeah, love to connect, uh, with any and all. And, uh, man, this is, this has been so great. Thank you for having me on this Thank and thanks you. for doing what you're doing. This, Dude, is, this the, is very cool. The pleasure is mine. I just ask the questions. People like you make what I do possible. So, I mean, they're, Thank you for letting me do what I do, uh, for making time for me. And this is where I say uh, there is no questioning, my man. You are unstoppable. Thank you, man. It's fun. We'll cut it there. Cheers. 
There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Special thanks to our guest today, David Kaplan, for coming on, sharing your story, being an inspiration. And it blows my mind that you had like practically next to none restaurant hospitality bar experience before going on to open one of the most iconic, well-known bar concepts, cocktail concepts in the country. If that's not inspiration, if that's not making you feel unstoppable, then I don't know what else to do. This is awesome. And um, really love getting into EOS today, too. Uh, EOS is one of these platforms that I just believe in. Uh, it's right up there with, with Profit First. It's an organization I want to become a more intimate with. And I would love to build community around EOS. So if you listen to today's episode and you're interested in leveraging the entrepreneurial operating system EOS, then sign up for Restaurant Unstoppable Network. It's my goal to build a community of restaurant owners around the country uh, using EOS, help you guys connect so you have support uh, with each other. And uh, this is a subject that I'm, I feel like I'm just scraping the surface on. We want to go deeper. And uh, the author of Rocket Fuel is on my list too. We talked about that in today's episode. So just a little teaser there. We're, we're going deeper into EOS. And uh, if you're enjoying this podcast and you want more content just like this, we need your support. So obviously join the network. I mentioned that. Share this podcast with everybody you know, Inspiring to be great. Tag me when you share this podcast online so I can say thank you. Uh, use our affiliate links, use our sponsors. And then also, another way you can support the show is by um, helping me connect with some people to take this thing to the next level. So, I need a videographer. Uh, I am looking to take this podcast more on the ro- road, more open ended. And I'm either looking for someone to travel with me or somebody who, or a, a bunch of people, a network of videographers. So if you know people out there who are passionate about the restaurant industry, uh, who are maybe just getting started and they need some help, I can help them get exposure. I can give them all the tools. I have the equipment. I just need the, the bodies. I need the, the manpower or the woman power, whoever you are. Uh, spread the word. And I cannot say goodbye without saying thank you to the people who make this show possible. Thank you to Jared Parisi with us, Madre Podcast, for your copywriting and editing. Thank you, Callum Miola, our community manager. Thank you, Anna Tazen with the Good Kind Consulting for your executive support. I'm so grateful for my team. That's it for today. Until next time, peace out.